And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. John 3, 19. Hello, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Zoe and Heidi, Adam Kuntz, and David Apple, and we're here to talk about the satanic panic. Gentlemen, how are you? Uh, Adam? Do, uh, doing great, man. Uh, I need to tell you what the weather is because you don't know anymore. The sun is out, so this is amazing. And it's, it's, a, it's a Christmassy temperature, but there's no snow. <laughs> there we go. D- David? How about Paducah? Yes, the sun shines bright here as well. I think we're probably a little bit warmer. There was frost on the ground this morning. It's probably 50. I think that's the coldest it's going to be this week. So um, when the bikes are given on Christmas morning, the the little boys and little girls will be able to ride their bikes up and down the streets as one does, which was totally foreign to me as a child. But um, yeah, we're we're all doing good in Paducah. Wholesome. Zoen? It is it is sunny, believe it or not, but there is snow on the ground, so I guess I'm the one who's having a real winter. Well, down down here in Arkansas, it's supposed to be in at least the 70s for Christmas Day, and one forecast as of, at present is is saying low 80s, like 80, 81. And I just don't know what to do with that information. But I'm putting it out there. Y'all y'all pray for me. <laughs> it's it's unnatural, is what it is, Willie. <laughs> right. Fire ants at Christmas. But that's okay. <laughs> My son came into the house the other day and he goes, there's a wasp out here. There's a wasp. And uh, my my younger son said, just calm down. They don't live through the frost. Uh, it turns but- out he was just referring to Adam and me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a, several pairs of Sperry's moving quickly across the street there. There's yeah. two dudes in pink polo shirts outside. What's going on? They have blue blazers them- on. Please stop. <laughs> I said, boys, they can be trusted. Don't worry. Well, well, guys, we've got a we've got an episode we've been um, so, sort of teasing uh, for several years now oh here on the podcast. We've actually been talking about doing it, and well, the time has come. We're going to talk about the satanic panic. We're going to talk about satanic ritual abuse. This is going to be one where you're tempted to say, "Okay, maybe Word Fitly has jumped the shark," but no, no, we haven't. It's just you got to decide which pill you're going to want to take on this one. <laughs> the satanic panic is an interesting term. We're going to talk about the origins of it. Um, we're going to talk about devil worship. We're going to talk about uh, sacrifices. We're going to talk about things that people would like to believe only happen in fiction, and certain people out there want you to believe that it's fiction, but it isn't. So we're we're keeping big mid nineteen eighties hours today, mm-hmm. uh, and and that's how it's going to be, and it's going to be a very interesting uh, discussion here. So buckle up, uh, get cozy, get comfy. Let's talk about some uh, uh, some dark periods of history here. So, Adam, why don't you why don't you kickstart it for us? Yeah, the adjective in satanic ritual abuse, which was a term thrown around a lot between the the mid eighties and maybe the mid nineties, goes back to the rise of Satanism, which first I think started getting press coverage in Southern California, not really coincidentally, in about the late nineteen sixties. So. The listeners might be familiar with the Church of Satan and its leader, Anton LaVey, not his birth name. Uh, <laughs> and, and the question was always in these cases, 
you know, how serious is any of this? And the contention usually made in the media and for the media was that Church of Satan, Satanism, such as it was, was not particularly a, a new religion uh, of which you had, you know, many kinds, especially in Southern California in the 60s and 70s. It was sort of like a psychological drama or, or an enactment right. or something. It ends up being uh, portrayed as kind of a libertarianism with liturgy. Right. Yep. And and so you, you have this um, Ayn Rand's kind of philosophy mixed with with ritual. Right. And and that was always the debate. Are, do they legitimately believe in the power of this? Are, is there a difference, say, between Anton Zandor LeVay's philosophy and Aleister Crowley's? That's and that's always that's how it's been pitted. Right. It's been it's been kind of the operation behind it. Right. And that and that focuses the the question on these kind of, you know, almost we might say theological questions or dogmatic questions or philosophical questions and takes away the way that the practice of the worship of Satan was usually talked about in Christendom, which was as a series of evil rituals. So even where you have pictures of what appear to be evil rituals with Anton LaVey presiding, the discussion is, oh, those rituals don't matter. This is really about some kind of self-actualization this is really about, yeah, right, like Ayn Rand, you know, it, it, but but in real life and not just tax rates. So uh, that that's a, that's a big shift because historically Christians thought about what we would now call maybe Satanism as a series of rituals, sometimes connected to Judaism, sometimes not, but always involving wicked use of things like blood, blood human right. bodies. Yep. Parts. There's always some level of of yeah dead death involved in it. Something's got to die, shed its blood, and then you're going to use various parts for various things. It gets a little confusing too because there's a lot of bleed over between Satanism and witchcraft. There, I mean, they ultimately all serve Satan. Don't misunderstand me, but they're technically different things. Just when as as subjects, right? There's a lot of bleed over, but. Same master behind it all, I suppose. Right, right. But yeah, you're right. There's going to be a difference between a witch trying to treat with the devil and someone actually worshiping the devil explicitly as the you know object of his religion or the yeah. thinking that Christianity has everything completely upside down. Well, right. And it, this ends up being very timely for us uh, for a number of reasons. But now here in the news, I believe in Springfield, Illinois, uh, they're trying to put the Baphomet statue up. Next to the to the nativity scene again, Is right that going on. That's right. Um, Baphomet, horned goat god, <laughs> horned goat demon, um, who keeps reappearing. It's worth talking about that symbolism sometime down the road. But you know, it's 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 actually kind of a wholesome thing because a Christian sees that, and they might not know that its name's Baphomet, but they know it's of the devil and to be avoided. There's a visceral reaction a Christian has when you see a horned demon statue. And you know it needs to be destroyed. And so what I'm saying is there's a healthy iconoclasm that we need to adopt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it it gets deeper when you learn that this is an androgynous figure, uh, which really makes you think about a lot of things that you're told to accept now. But right. it is interesting that just aesthetically, these things look creepy. They look evil. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's, a, there's an order, but also a disorder to it. You know, uh, all of their symbolism, you know, is there, it's present, it's attached, but we, 
but you could kind of instinctively see how it's meant to invert everything and to disorder everything. It enters um, chaos. I mean, it at, at the heart of modern Satanism is the Thelemic motto, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. And, and the same thing for LeVay so, or Aquino and these, and these other modern Satanists. And they try to have caveats in their philosophy. Oh, well, we don't believe in aggression or we don't believe in forcing things upon people. Right. But at the end of the day, it's still about hedonism and self-pleasure, and there can really be no law in that. And so even if you took their supernatural understanding out of it, and some would even say that they don't believe in anything, then you're left with still something that's at least very self-serving, turning the person into their own god, which ultimately is Satan's original sin. And so what do you do with that? Uh, you, you have something that's very nefarious, but the real danger with modern Satanism is you have something that really is goes hand in hand with the modern theological worldview. Yeah. And I think it's it's interesting to me to look at the way that things are, are sold to different generations. So when this first arises as a self-conscious, let's say, religion, maybe with 501c3 status for some of these groups in the 60s and 70s, it is sold as theologically unserious, yes. but psychologically and philosophically serious. Now, the very same sets of practices are promoted as simply witchcraft straight, you know, straightforwardly on various forms of social media, especially to young women. And they don't have to repackage it as this isn't actually the scary thing that you were raised to believe it is. It just is witchcraft, you should be a witch. And they've dropped a lot of the sort of trappings that it still had when it was being sold to people who were raised in a overwhelmingly, at least sociologically speaking, Christian country. Sure. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, you know, targeted advertising is strange. And if you're properly using an ad blocker and a VPN and everything you should be using, you'll you'll get to see some strange ads that are just sort of out there and openly satanic stuff being marketed. Yeah. I mean, just indiv individual Baphomet statues, but I mean, pictures of the devil, pentagrams with goat's heads in them, things like that. There's obviously a market out there. A ton of people are buying this stuff, yeah. and they don't even <laughs> they don't even hide it. Now it's just proudly displayed. I, with my encounters with uh, modern paganism and stuff like that, and I think this is kind of tangentially related, I find that it's very often packaged as a kind of do what you're going to believe what you want to believe, you know, kind of down your path kind of a thing. And so in that sense, it's become highly individualistic too. So I know of some who will claim to believe, you know, Christian things, so to speak, um, even while they're professing, you know, demonic things as well. So, I mean, it is very much an individualistic do as thou wilt kind of religion uh, that is being promoted today. Yeah, correct. Creative worship is satanic. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite what I said, but I'll go with it. So <laughs> I'm just saying, the Bible says wherever there's disorder and wherever something insists on its own way, it's something somebody said. Anyway, but back to the topic at hand. Absolutely. Well well said. Uh and so here's our here's our issue then. As we talk about this, if we if we turn it into simply, okay, it's just a bunch of dudes doing what they want. There's nothing really to it. This is all part of a, a psychological operation to make you think that there are no people who actually believe in devil worship. But as we've talked about in other podcasts, we've seen 
go back to the CERN tunnel, uh, things like that. There are people who definitely believe in this deep black magic, the devil at the center of it. And the question we're going to actually tackle today is, are there crimes committed in the name of the devil? Do these things actually happen? Was it all just a media panic, a manufactured panic of the 80s? Is it all Geraldo Rivera's fault? This is what we have to ask. And I think for a lot of people, it's better for them just to think, oh, well, this evil stuff doesn't actually happen. On the other side, there are people out there who it's to their advantage in life to make you believe that this stuff isn't happening, to keep it in the dark, to not expose it. Why might they want to keep that hidden? They might want to keep it hidden because the exposure of these things would be so viscerally shocking yeah. if known that it would destroy any capacity they have to operate. And right. so um, something that is changing in America in the 70s is that at the beginning of the decade, there is this comparison made, I think it was in Time magazine, between um, Soviet women and American women. And Soviet women were shocked to realize that American women, by a vast majority, uh, stayed home with their children. That was That was abnormal in the Soviet Union by the early 1970s. By the beginning of the 1980s, when you begin to have the first reports out of McMartin Preschool in Manhattan Beach, California, that's not the case, certainly not in Southern California, that most women are with their children all the time. So along with a growth in what you could call really neutrally new religions in America, including various forms of Satanism, covert or overt, you also get a growth in the need to trust strangers, especially with your children, because women are entering the workforce in new numbers. I mean, this is not the stuff we're talking about today could not have occurred. Just there wouldn't have been people in the 1950s to be in preschools in large numbers. Well, you know, it's uh, that's a very, a very good way to, to put it and something very important to remember. See how this is going to commonly be portrayed when you go to try to research this or listen to other sources on it. They'll say, well, the exorcist came out in 73 and then that's when everybody started blaming the devil on everything. And they want to kind of trace the line from there. But you have, I mean, yes, the rise of the serial killer in the seventies, but really it starts to poke its head out in the sixties. Uh, you really begin to see an uptick in accusations of satanic crimes in the 60s, you know, going in, but this is not an MK Ultra podcast yet. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. but going, it's but it, it, it's well before The Exorcist. All of this is kind of rumbling, and then in the 70s, uh, things kind of go go a bit haywire and get a little little crazier. So you're going to have something like the Son of Sam Killer, who is not only going to say that voices in his head are telling it to do it, but there's also going to be allegations of a, of, of a satanic cult being behind this, and then that ends up getting pushed away as, as fringe later on, you know, fast forward um, a decade or more from there, you've got like Richard Ramirez, people like that, you know, all of them almost exclusively are going to claim that there is something uh, demonic about what they are doing. And I don't just mean that obviously serial killing is demonic, of course, but there it's more than that for some of these people. They're going to say that there is a spiritual thing happening. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's a great, I, I hadn't even thought about the connection with Son of Sam because the other thing you realize is that when your media consists of newspapers and and 
uh, broadcast news, it's really hard to connect events that are five or six years apart unless you were frantically saving yeah. everything you know out of newspapers because you can't connect that the way that people are being exploited, abused, murdered, uh, and used for ritual purposes, according to the son of Sam Killer himself in New York City, looks identical to discussions yeah. of satanic ritual abuse in California five, six, seven years later. Right, and this is um, this is something where, and like just to explain this, like there were mass casualty events much more common in the seventies. For example, America really was more violent then, but. If you looked at the news nowadays, they would have you believe that these things are more common today. Not actually true. It's how it's it's how it's reported. Okay, so that you can have a ton of school children killed out in say Oklahoma in say 1950. Well, why did we know about this? Because everything was localized. Yeah. It, there was not media on a mass scale like what we have today. Were there national newspapers? Sort of, yeah. But your local newspaper and maybe your local radio station. And then eventually your local television station was about as far as it got. So it's really not until, frankly, the rise of cable news and the rise of national networks uh, that you really begin to be able to connect these dots as far as media stories go. So it's very like, well said there that this media isolation is how you're able to operate. It does make researching this a little bit more difficult, but I think it ultimately makes the case much stronger when you see it that way. Because it can't just be a case of, uh, oh, people are being churned up by a media headline and following it. There are clearly events that are strikingly similar happening far apart. Yeah, and they, they are similar to very old descriptions of devil worship. Yes. Uh, they're, not, they're not really novel in this way. It's not like the advent of Buddhism in America or something where we just never yeah, saw this before a certain period. These, these resemble medieval descriptions of the worship of Satan, what is done to human beings, how they're treated as sacrifices, and especially how yep. the young are vulnerable and prized by the wicked as targets. Right. And, and what they use them for. I mean, it, you're, it's it's almost a one-to-one comparison. There might just be more candles and more pentagrams, or right. or less, depending. I mean, yeah, because the pentagram does show up. So be, every time I try to make lo- like a joke about it, it's like, well, actually, no, it's pretty much there, right? Uh, <laughs> and and it is worth again, it's worth talking about. It is the media does sensationalize things, but what we are going to talk about in this episode is not sensationalized. The details are there; these are matters of record. And we can, you know, we can look them up. Picked a great week to broadcast this one, guys. Well, <laughs> I was, I was, I mean, I was thinking about how these, these are such a demonic inversion of Christmas yeah. where, you know, God himself becomes, when he becomes man comes first as a, as a child, right? Yeah. This is, and this is the model of belonging to the kingdom is like a little child. And therefore the inversion of that, the definition of darkness is, the mistreatment, the murder, the hatred of children. So I, I don't, I don't think that's. I mean, it's this is a Christmas enjoying podcast, <laughs> right? And and that's that's part of Christmas yeah. is is the absolute love of children and the holy child. Yeah. So I can say. So I suppose then, well, our Christmas gift then is preparing millstones for the people that we're talking about. In this <laughs> that's right. That's right. Exactly. We got to take our first break. We'll be right back with more word fitly spoken right after this.
Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Zoe and Heidi, Adam Coons, and allegedly David Apples here with us today to talk about the satanic panic. Well, we had a good uh, time in the first segment, so now let's talk about that term proper a little bit. So the satanic panic is the name given to this 1980s hysteria surrounding Satanism. And there was sort of a fervor. And everything then was was considered satanic. So you do have these allegations of satanic ritual abuse, and a lot of people are coming out giving testimony that this is happening to them. Some of it will be verified as a hoax. And yet, it also extended into everything. So Dungeons and Dragons is satanic, or He-Man is satanic, and that's kind of what the news would focus upon. Re- religious group rejects He-Man because he says he is the most powerful man in the universe. Uh, you know, things like that. And I, um, but that is, you know, we laugh at it, but it is true. I'm, I won't tell, I've got an Appalachian folksy story around this, but I can verify that, yeah, I knew at least one family who would not let their son play with He-Man for religious reasons, for that very reason. And there are religious videotapes of the day, actually, like that'll bring the He-Man toys out and talk about the satanic, uh, origins of he-man i believe that that was that was a psyop i believe that that was an operation meant to distract people from legitimate satanic abuse that was going on yeah this let, let me earn my my share of the uh the war chest here this is why i was not allowed to drink monster energy drinks because the logo is satanic oh because it Oh, what was that one? Tell me. It's kind of like the Johnson and Johnson stuff, which they are satanic, but for different right. reasons. Well, it's, it's something <laughs> like chain email should... me, brother. Chain email me. Yeah, on yeah. This. It's that say. kind of thing. See, I'm I represent suburban LCMS life in all that I I have become that. Um, and Welcome. so these kind of things were very popular. That especially Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, I was warned against that many times. And the the monster energy is this is similar thing. Those three, it looks like a claw, you know, it's a beast. The beast has left its mark on your, on your can. And um, I think there's something with six, six, six on there as well. Um, And we haven't recorded the revelation episode yet about that number 666. So, but clearly um, it is the white monster. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that kind of, I, what I'm, what I'm saying is what this, if I told you? these, these distractions. So you, you know, that becomes what Christians are. Oh, when you talk about Satanism, oh, you're just one of these people who is freaked out by monster energy drinks or by He-Man. Um, you won't play Dungeons and Dragons and nobody then pursues any further into what if there actually is um, real Satanism going on. Well, you know, there's the 1982 masterpiece, Mazes and Monsters, with Tom Hanks that is all about role-playing games and how it leads you down the satanic path. I, I do want to defend, though, those Christian parents in those days. I think that that's very, very wholesome to just to see how insidious Satan can be and want to keep your children from that instead of what so often happens now is, well, consume any of this media. It can't hurt you at all. If you don't think it can hurt you, it can't hurt you. And so well, we get a lot of that. Yeah, I'm here to say that, um, you know, growing up and playing baseball, I, I instead of Dungeons and Dragons, I think I turned out all right. That's right. You know, That's um, right. Brother. Wisdom is justified in her children. Yeah. So anyway, so that's kind of where, where we are. So you'll get a lot of, hey, you know, uh, this preschool's got some nefarious stuff going on. Yeah, cool. But did you know that uh, She-Ra is actually the symbol of an ancient pagan god? 
or something like that. And, and so it gets, it's misdirection. And, and again, I can, I can sympathize with that um, a little bit. Uh, You know, you don't want to go too far. Yeah. But let me ask a question here. I mean, yes, obviously there is misdirection, but how much of it is like a deliberate, like this is just ridiculous. And how much of it is, oh, well, they're just making it into something more ridiculous than it actually is. Right. I mean, and in the 80s, too. Yeah. And in the 80s, too, you you did have a huge resurgence in the horror genre. I just read a really dumb thesis on the horror, on horror, wherever it was. Anyway, I'll think of it and make fun of it in a later podcast. But um, so you do have this. And, and this is kind of the tricky thing to, to diagnose. You have the rise of the horror film, again, a resurgence in the 80s. What causes that? Is it satanic? I don't I don't know that that's necessarily the answer there. And so it all gets kind of wrapped up together, though, when you look at this historically. What was going on in the 80s? And if we just make it into, hey, pop culture was into this stuff, then we're going to miss the, some actual instances of real satanic abuse happening, allegedly. Do we have to say allegedly here for liability's sake? <laughs> uh, we, we might, um, yeah. depending on the case discussed. <laughs> So well, all, all I'm saying is, is that if the exorcist is satanic abuse, the exorcist too is, is pure misdirection. Is, <laughs> it's, it's artistic abuse. <laughs> so, I mean, yes, I, I do believe there is misdirection going on. It's just yeah. a question of how much. Yeah. Well, okay. And then I do need to, to, let me sort of back up a little bit. So you, you get to the eighties with the satanic panic proper, but it is true though, that following the exorcist, you got, all kinds of exorcist ripoffs and satanic movie knockoffs and a huge missed opportunity because nobody ever cast Billy Graham in one of them to come and just, you know, blow their stuff up at the end. Huge missed opportunity <laughs> because ever they were these movies about satanic cults and everything were everywhere that served to trivialize. And maybe it technically started with Rosemary's baby, but that served to trivialize devil worship in a lot of people. It it entered into the realm of the fantastic at that point for a lot of them because, Oh, that's just movie stuff. This stuff doesn't really happen. That's just in movies. And that's a dangerous place uh, to find yourself uh, because you're going to be denying uh, a real danger that's out there and a reality that's out there. And so people to this day, anytime they're confronted with evidence of, of a clear evil thing being done that might be attached to ritual or witchery or Satanism, they will say, Oh, that's just movie stuff. And that's exactly what they want you to say. Or they'll say, Oh, that's just, um, if you go even further back in history, they'll say, Oh, well that was just Christian bigotry targeting a certain group. Clearly there's no real evidence of that. And that's what they want you to believe in spite of evidence. And I mean, the term moral panic, which predates the stuff that we're talking about by about 10 or 15 years, is a term that was already invented by a a British sociologist, in a manner of speaking, um, (laughs) Stanley Cohen, uh, (laughs) his birth name. Um, And that term was invented to cover uh, historical things that uh, had in retrospect were seen by him or people like him as basically just scapegoating. So this idea that scapegoating is the major historical dynamic when any group is accused of something especially heinous. And so therefore you take 
the energy that would be directed at finding out whether it's true or finding those who committed these atrocities. And you say, well, no, actually, the problem is you and your paranoia and you're being uptight and you're being suspicious of Jews, gypsies, witches, whatever outgroup you've got. And uh, so your problem is that you are paranoid about the other, right? Capital O. And therefore, you are outsourcing that fear onto others. And so if you, if you look up, especially on YouTube, where things are pretty heavily censored at this point, you look up the stuff that we're talking about today, you're going to find a lot of very careful and even relatively recent management of various events that we've mentioned already and will mention in the remaining time. And part of the reason for that is that you have at the heart of lots of things called moral panics, whether it's the quote, red scares, either the first one or the second one in American history, or any of these things surrounding ritual abuse. And when you start looking at certain hard facts, what were people doing? Uh, what were they invested in? Did their deeds line up with certain medieval descriptions of ritual abuse? Those facts are pretty damning. So you have to surround the whole thing with this messaging that what is really wrong is that the majority, especially the Christian majority, is basically paranoid. Right. right? Yeah, it's it's interesting how it all ends up being turned around and made into an anti-Christian operation. Right. Yeah, very well said. Well, should we look at uh, some specific instances now? Yeah, now, things that actually happened. Yeah, so yeah. let's first take a look at what is essentially the longest and most expensive trial in U.S. legal history that ultimately results in no convictions. That is the McMartin preschool case. Your first accusations that at this very large daycare in Manhattan Beach, California, there is child at first, child sexual abuse is going on, comes out in late 82, maybe early 83, if I recall correctly. And this will eventually lead to the trial of seven of the you know, teachers in court. This is going to go on for a very long time. Uh, no conviction, like you said. And what comes out in the midst of this trial are accusations made and Part of the shakiness of this is going to be the shakiness of the discipline of psychology. Accusations made in interviews with children by child psychologists who say the children are saying that they were not only sexually abused in a in a kind of a straightforward way, but that that abuse surrounded going down into tunnels underneath the McMartin preschool and encountering groups of strangely robed adults who were behaving in ritualistic ways. Okay. And because that sounds so fantastical to people for all the reasons that we've already discussed, you also have this other complication, which is that this is based on testimony derived from children by psychologists asking very particular questions. And so this will get undercut to some extent in the 80s, but really, if you go look at, I mean, you can find there's a New York Times video from a couple years ago, going back over all of this, and giving you kind of the orthodox interpretation, which was, we didn't know how to take testimony from children properly, we didn't know enough about child psychology. Because the accusation, it's very interesting, the accusation is, 
this along with a book that precedes the McMartin case called Michelle Remembers. Yeah, the repressed memory. Right. Is that, is that these these is that repressed memory might be fake. And if it's not fake, it's very hard to access. And therefore, probably none of this is real. So anyway, guys, don't worry about the fact that Satanism is also ongoing in Southern California at this time. That's not something that ever gets discussed. It's, hey, they got this in a shaky way. And they were panicking because they were paranoid or something. So anyway, don't worry about it. There was no conviction. Right. Many such cases like this, not not all involving tunnels and ritual abuse, but where it, they want to push aside testimony and and say, well, it resulted in a mistrial or it resulted in no convictions or right. this, that or the other. So really no need to look into it. Um, and we've seen it and we've seen um, at least one notable case like that uh, recently with the Pizzagate stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And part of the reason I think so many of these, there are lots of videos from maybe like 2014 to about 2017, 2018, is because they recognize that what is now called the satanic panic, that's the phrase to Google if you want to find how Vice or BuzzFeed or the Washington Post is trying to cover this. They recognize that this is the same strain of thinking as Pizzagate as spirit cooking. And so you'll also find individualized, pretty long Wikipedia articles about all this stuff, because they're obviously trying to manage this information carefully. And the, the, the red thread they're trying to draw through all of this is none of this is real. No one's molesting children. No one is worshiping Satan. That's just art. That's just play acting. These accusations came up for no reason. And they will often give you, so the magic that they're doing here is they, they will often give you plenty of information. So in the early 80s, what happens after the McMartin case begins to be covered, and the media actually is pretty sympathetic to a lot of this, right? So at the time, is that you get accusations like this all across the United States from daycares by right. parents not just by children, not just from child psychologist interviews, but by parents. And that they'll give you that little factoid and then go back into telling you why this was just a panic. Yeah, this is just an isolated incident that really didn't happen anyway. Yeah. But don't look at all of this other stuff here. There, yeah, there was an, ex- <laughs> there was an explosion of, of accusations at that time. Right. I mean, you're talking into the thousands, people coming yeah. forward. Could all be hoaxes, I suppose. That's a, that's a, that's a shockingly huge number. Right. And, you know, the same people will say, well, all of those were fake. will then go, but all 90 something women who accused Bill Cosby must be heard. <laughs> yeah, right, right. But then, I mean, and so you, you see that what they do is they will. It's not so much that the way that Satan lies through our media is that he just refuses to show you things. I think sometimes we focus too much on the reality of censorship, which is which is true. I mean, if you. Google the same, if you search the same terms on, say, BitChute, you're going to find completely different information right. about McMartin Preschool from YouTube. That That is real. But another thing that happens, and I think more often happens, is they'll even give you lots of on-the-ground facts and observations. Or they'll let you say something about your own life, your your observation, what you know, but then convince you that that was all irrational and stupid. That's how they do it. They don't hide everything that has gone on. 
No, they will set up the, the they'll set up every bit of evidence and go, well, here's all this, but here's why you're stupid for believing right. what we just told right. you. Right. All those parents were deluded. No one, you know, no one in America was molesting children, certainly not for dark religious reasons in the 1980s. No, that couldn't possibly be. You're you're all dumb. That's all right. that's all fake. And so they want to bring that back, especially in more recent times, because the political direction of that has has become much sharper and and more intense the closer we get to the present. Because in the 1980s, the Democratic Party, for example, was not getting up and saying, you know, actually, guys, I think we're being a little hard on pedophiles. You know, I think we, you know, this is, (laughs) this is maybe something that could be normalized, conceivably brought into say, I don't know, a coalition of sexual deviancy. The stakes are much higher politically now. And the media is much more favorable to things like this. So Right. And, you know, we we really dived right into the deep end on this subject because we didn't even start with like animal sacrifice, which is also part of this, right. which at a local, say, law enforcement level is easily verifiable yep. that, that this is being done. So, to, so, so you have animal abuse all the way up to child abuse. And we also forgot to mention adults who get destroyed in this as well. But the worst example of it is what happens to children here. Now, since we're coming up to the end of the segment, we won't get into the into the other one just yet. But this is where you'll be tempted to say, well, what about the abuse in the Catholic Church? What about the abuse in public schools? That is evil. And especially in the case of the Vatican, it seems to be tied with Satanism too. I don't want to completely separate those two. What we're saying about this is not to try to distract you from those other things. But they're all kind of related because it's all it's kind of an open secret of what happens. It's so, so this is allowed to go on. You're not allowed to talk about it only in certain instances. So you can talk about the Roman Catholic church. That's a safe one to talk about as far as abuse. You can't talk about public schools. You can't talk about um, the preschool trial that we talked about, at least not in an honest way so that they really control where you can point your finger. Right. And so everything we're saying here about these cases, again, is not to take away from those things or to distract from those things. Those are great evils that must be dealt with. But but nevertheless, the subject today is what they're trying to cover up or what they're trying to misdirect. Right. And um, you can see that it, that all of that involves control over which dots get connected, right? Right. Because they don't connect dots for you on homosexual priests in the Catholic Church being disproportionately represented among accused abusers. They don't connect dots between that. There's no, there are no dots connected on public school. It's just always some 26 year old teacher and a boy. That's it. That's, that's all that happens. It's completely random. No dots are connected. And in this case, the dots that are connected are, let me show you a video from 1992 of a guy with a mullet and like a vague Southern accent saying something absurd about, you know, how Satan is inside like Coke cans or in this, in this, you know, cassette tape. Therefore, none of this other stuff happened or was real. I feel seen right now. Yes, sir. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Um, And this is all just part of, this is why a Christian must exercise discernment in what they do and in what they read. And 
for some of you out there, you you might if you if you're still with us, this might not be something that you want to look into. I don't think this is something that everybody needs to dig into. Zellen, we should probably put a disclaimer at the beginning of this episode, by the way, uh, just because of some of the content. Uh, Maybe you know, matter, uh, but you know, um, not everybody needs to dig into this. Wordfitly um, is usually a, a pretty family friendly podcast. You can listen right. with yeah, the little yeah, one. Not, yeah, the territorial demons episode I listened to with the kids. It was <laughs> it was fine, but but there is a. Sometimes not every stone needs to be t- turned over for everyone. And right. so this is not a rabbit hole that you want to go down just carelessly. At the same time, I know there are pastors out there right now that are laughing. Ha oh, ha ha, Pizzagate. Ha ha ha, I voted for Michael Dukakis or something like that. Um, and <laughs> Lesser of two evils. And, and there's nothing you can really... I have really, lace on my alb. Uh, <laughs> right. There's nothing you can do with such things. There's nothing you can do with such people. Um, so... To those guys, I don't know what to do with you, but but for the rest of you out there, um, you know, just exercise caution, exercise discernment, and uh, and wisdom when dealing with this. But we're at our second break. We'll be right back with more of this stuff right after this. everyone you are listening to a word fitly spoken i'm willie grills here with zell and heidi adam coons and david Apple. we're talking about the satanic panic satanic ritual abuse and um the reality thereof so it's been kind of a heavy podcast i will admit a lot of this is hard to to hear it's not the most pleasant thing although we have an epidemic of true crime podcasts so maybe people will eat this up i don't know but this um, is how we break into a female listener base <laughs> We're going to get all your wine ants listening to Word Fitly. There will be revival. They're going to be binging. They can't control it. First stop, then we find them husbands. But um, anyway, uh, but we want to we want to show though that this kind of thing does show up in the scriptures. That there is evil magic out there and and manner of wickedness that does befall children. Uh, we see that happening in the Bible, and then we're going to talk about. Uh, what to do? How's a Christian? Because you can be blackpilled on this and see all this around and go, oh no, what can I do? We're going to talk about defenses. We're going to remind you that Christ has harrowed hell, that he has conquered the devil, that Christ has the keys to the kingdom, and it's going to be okay, fam. It's going to be okay. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under his feet. But first, let's talk about uh, evil ritualistic practices in the Bible. Adam? The major deity here that we have recorded in the Old Testament is Moloch, who receives sacrifices, especially human sacrifices. Chemosh may have done the same thing. The distinctions here between assorted Semitic gods is not all that important. You may want to know that when these things were uh, exported to Carthage by the Phoenicians, 
the idea that they actually did the things of which the Romans accused them, which line up with the accusations made about similar nations in the Levant, that was held by many people for a long time that the Romans were just making that up. So mm-hmm. the idea that these things, these practices, the offering, especially of children to demons, or you get, for example, in the Old Testament, the mention of the dedication of the firstborn, the slaying of the firstborn uh, as a way of founding a city, uh, a particularly painful offering made for the blessing of the future city. That idea was even in a non-biblical context dismissed as, you know, uh, I don't know, a moral panic uh, <laughs> by people who actually believed what the Romans were saying about human sacrifice until we discovered evidence of human sacrifice by these practitioners of this Canaanite well, you know, religion. You, you had a similar thing that happens in modern history with uh, the Aztecs and mm-hmm. the testimony against yep. them from the Spaniards. Oh, hey, they were doing this and... Oh, the Spaniards, they just made this up to justify the conquest, and then we discover pyramids of human skulls right? and things like that. Exactly. Wasn't, I mean, Jericho was rebuilt with human sacrifice, right? Right. I mean, you have the the death of the eldest and the the death of the youngest at the setting of its gates. But, I mean, even even with that in mind, too, almost every pagan culture, every non-Christian culture at some point in its history has evidence of child sacrifice. To these these demonic gods, I mean, even even Egypt, which was not especially known for its human sacrifices right. at its very earliest point, uh, they did discover where people were buried, for example, with the pharaohs and stuff like that. So this is this is a a meme, if you will, that goes across every non Christian culture at some point in its history. So this isn't just a oh a one little tidbit that happened at one point kind of a thing. That And that, that gives you a different perspective on, okay, what has been happening in our country for the past 50 years? It is not some sort of process of secularization or changes in pop culture, if it is those things. It is the overtaking of a formerly gospeled country, thoroughly gospeled country by ungodly works and words. That's what's happening. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And they want you to believe the lie that our country wasn't Christian, wasn't gospeled. Very good word there. Because they need that as part of their narrative. And many of you are playing into that. I'm I'm still amazed, by the way, that people see the cover of that book, Jesus and John Wayne, read the full cover and decide to read that whole book, you know. But uh, anyway, but that's sort of off, off topic. But this idea that that we were always just pagan and corrupt and didn't care for Christ is a lie. But they need you to believe that lie. Right. Yeah. Uh, because that that has to fall right into, they have to say, well, look at all this evil we're doing. Well, we've always been, you know, about doing what we want. We've always been libertine. And so it just naturally rolls, rolls into that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wherever the corrupted will is allowed to do what it wants, this is what you find. And again, as we said way back in the beginning, that is just modeled directly after what Satan did when he first rebelled. Well, that kind of comes back to what you were saying earlier about, like, when they're presenting the news. It's not so much that they're hiding the data points from you. It's that they're putting a very specific color on them. And so they they look back at the history of our nation, for example, and they're not hiding what was happening. They just put a very specific color on what was happening so that you believe something else than what the facts actually say. Yeah. Thomas Jefferson was a deist. Therefore, nobody believed in Christ. (laughs) 
Right. Yeah, exactly. Is kind of the, the logic that they go with. But anyway, yeah. So, we, you know, so we, we now have what amounts to mass child sacrifice today and, and often sacrifice just for convenience for toward oneself. That's such a good point because I think, I mean, not only does it line up with the growth of these cases, which are dubious, but abortion, the numbers of which are, are not at all dubious, is such a, a self-evident example of the practice of the things that in the Old Testament cause Israel first to conform to the ways of the Canaanites and then to be spit out of the land that God gave them because of their sins. These are things that come along with idolatry. They are just, they seem to me to be the most heightened form of idolatry. So when you think about yeah. abortion, don't just think about, can we overturn it? I mean, I hope we can. I don't know if that's going to stop it in California or New York on a legal basis, but think of it also as an index of the spiritual degradation and destruction that has been wrought here, that this was even thinkable, right? that this was even debatable. Right. And, you know, it's corollary. So the, the, the murder of the child in the womb, it's corollary is um, the refusal to bear children as well. So that from all spheres, life is attacked. Not only do we not care about its preservation, but we don't care about its creation and sustaining it. It's, right. it's very, very, uh, very sad state of affairs. Well, let's, uh, let's go back to the Bible here. So we've got the worship of Moloch. And you could you could almost interchange any other pagan deity you want there. Let's look at a, look at a New Testament example. Yeah, we've got the girl subject to spirits who performs divination for her owner um, in Acts. Uh, so with we're whom, at Acts sixteen. With, yeah, with yeah. whom Paul eventually becomes deeply irritated, seemingly. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Just an offhand sort of an exorcism there. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's great. So apparently the the demon that she's afflicted with is effective. I mean, because that's how they're making money. And Paul exercises her and now they're upset because there's going to be a huge profit loss. The python spirits in antiquity, like this, the spirit, which is inside this girl, they certainly had to get some things, quote unquote, right so that, you know, they would actually be believed. I mean, Satan doesn't always lie you know, outright, sometimes he tells you, like you say, just enough so that you believe what he, that everything else that he's saying. The Bible consistently does not try to do what our media tries to do and then teaches Christians to do, which is to not think that things like this could happen or do happen. Mm -hmm. It, it gives them credence. It does not give them ultimate power over God's creation, right? So they're real, but you do not need to be afraid. And then that's the thing too. You, you know, if you kind of go over into the next subject here, you can also become so enamored with the power that the demons would seemingly have that you can become frightened of them. Uh, there is sort of the other side to that and become borderline superstitious. You know, I don't think you'd need to be able to see uh, demons behind every bush. And I do think we fetishize the global South a bit on this. You know, and we talked about this in the territorial spirits a lot, you know. Yeah, right. Um, but, so you can go listen to that if you want to know what we're talking about here. But we understand that we wrestle not with flesh and blood. We understand that there are people out there who worship these evil spirits, whether knowingly or unknowingly. How can we guard ourselves and our families from this then? 
before any specifics, I would just say generally you ha- you have to realize that when our fathers affirmed that scripture was sufficient or perfect, they meant very practically that reading and memorization of it would equip you fully for every good work, as Paul says. And that includes the warding off of evils, both personal and impersonal. And so if you think about this, you don't need to come up with a bunch of stories from some tropical country in order to prove to yourself that this is real or how you should deal with it. You need to be aware of what scripture says, not only about the reality of evil, the reality of demons, but also about the reality of goodness, the reality of angels, the reality of Christ's work to bind the strong man and to bring out of captivity those who were bound in the house of the strong man, the house of Satan. So knowledge of that will prove to be very practical. So just generally, I would say an actual practice of life as if scripture is sufficient is the absolute sine qua non for battling whatever it is that you encounter. Yeah. So know the Bible and know its promises. You know, put a put a bow on that. That you do have holy angels fighting on your behalf. That guardian angels are a real thing, biblically. If you study your catechism, you know that we actually confess that in the simple prayer. So all of these things like that, serving as protection, the name of God placed upon you itself is protection. Uh, by virtue of being baptized into Christ, you can call upon his name uh, for protection. And so um, all of these things that we, that they're so simple, so commonplace that we kind of take them for granted. Yeah. I mean, so specifics, if you're okay getting into some of those, yeah, let's um, do it. would include something that I have not in the time that I've spent researching this. Maybe I would find something if I spent more time. A suggestion that no one brought up in the mid-1980s, which was, why don't we put these children who are in these preschools, not only in California, but across the nation, why don't we put them with the people who are least likely to do wicked things to them? Why don't we put them with their mothers every day? <laughs> right. So it's interesting right. that that was not, not really, that was already off the table for public discussion. Right. Is well, it now, out? you know, yeah. now they try to turn this into, well, you're more likely to be harmed by a family member or one close to you. Mm-hmm. And that's how they try to spin this. However, if you dig into that, it's rarely a mother. It It is a boyfriend. It yep. is um, an uncle they shouldn't have been left with. It is, yeah, it's somebody, quote unquote, close, but somebody they shouldn't have been entrusted to anyway. Right. When you, when you start to dig into this. So, yeah, like, you, so your thesis, which is very good, is as they took children out of the home, that made the children more vulnerable to attack. And it seems so obvious when we say it out loud, but nobody thought about that. Yeah. And, and if they did, I mean, it's, it's just kind of, it's one of those things that is off limits now at this point, And certainly for people that listen to this podcast, that thought is not off limits. And there are lots of other reasons and much less sort of potentially dark reasons. I mean, you don't get that time back. Uh, What else would you rather be doing than nurturing life? I mean, there are lots of reasons for a mother to stay home with her children. Among them is the reality that there really is also with regard to the worst things you could imagine, 
no better person to be taking care of the children than their mother. And the fact that that wasn't even allowed to be discussed publicly, even in the 1980s, which are now, I mean, you know, we got guys that weren't even born then probably that are listening to this that are maybe nostalgic for the 1980s or something. That wasn't even on the table then. Yeah. It's so, yeah, this is how long ago this has been going on. So what we're basically saying here is for protection's sake, physically and spiritually, a strong family is important. Father and mother, both as protector. I mean, the mother hen, have you ever seen a hen try to protect her chicks? You know, I'll use a ge- more gentler one than a, than a mama bear because I don't want to insult anybody's mama. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but those kinds of things, strong family, strong faith, but also knowing those promises of God and being able, again, I really want to go back to discernment that not everything is good for you to take in and not everything, you know, you need to have some, some wisdom here. A lot of these dark things happen in secret and you want to shine a light on them so people can see, and particularly the light of Christ on them so that they can be exposed, exposing every dark work. Uh, So a subject like this is really rather heavy, but it doesn't do us any good to put our head in the sand. In the Christian life, you're going to have to deal, especially as, you know, pastors, you're going to have to deal and fathers and everything else, just as a Christian in life, lay or ordain, you're going to have to deal with some very dark and heavy things. You know, uh, Brother Appled here, uh, you're dealing with uh, the aftermath of a great disaster. And so you're dealing with death uh, and destruction. And, you know, you're tasked right now with bringing the gospel to a people who feel, you know, dejected and they've in some cases lost everything that they have. So what what do you do when ministering to people who are under a very uh, harsh circumstance, a very difficult circumstance? Well, it's in, you know, when you're talking about the home and uh, so the tornadoes that came were about half an hour south of me. So people losing their shelters, their homes, uh, when you don't have the actual walls of the building anymore and you just have mom and dad and some kids what resources do they still have? Well, like you've mentioned, they have the name of God, they have prayer to the Lord. And of course, a big part of what we do right away is trying to get them back into a home, get them out of these temporary shelters where you hear all kinds of terrible stories about, you know, grifters and scam artists. I know it's not exact, it's not satanic ritual abuse, but um, it's you, you, when people experience evil, it's kind of like this reminder, oh yeah, the you know human depravity isn't just an idea, it actually gets played out. And then also, I think the, the flip side of that is that the power of prayer and the power of Christ is also not just an idea, but it actually does protect and it actually does bring peace to know that, that Christ does not, he does not lose those who belong to him, even if they're displaced from their homes. Yeah, very good. Well, guys, we're coming up on the end of the episode here. Um, Any final words as we go? We didn't even get into some specific medieval accounts, but just know that if you decide to research this and do that, uh, the first or second lines on Wikipedia will tell you everything you need to know about uh, about the veracity of of a tale. Um, But anyway, um, Adam Zellin, any final words? I think just as a way of putting a uh, my bow on all of this, I know you guys have contributed more, but that's fine, is that uh, if we are to guard against these things, as you said, we need to be in the word. We need to 
you know, focus on what God says. We need to be in prayer. But we also need to take what God says seriously about these things, too, because the Satan can even take scripture and make us connect dots that, you know, shouldn't be connected so that we don't even take what God has to say very seriously. Uh, But we should take the word at face value. We should listen to what God has to say. And then we will see not only the reality of evil, we will also see the fact that Christ has overcome that evil and that he will have all things under his feet on the last day. Adam? I would learn to pray if you can't already, and and knowing the Bible better will help you do this. I would learn to pray extemporaneously even to yourself so that you are able to put into words situations that are happening right then or that people have asked you to pray about. That will be much more useful when you have a time of extreme difficulty or someone is panicked or you are seeing something very unholy and uncanny. Uh, If you practice prayer that is not pre-prepared, you will be better equipped at that time to use fitting words to put Satan to flight. Well, very good. Well, gentlemen, always a great time. Thanks for being on. This has been A Word Fitly Spoken. If you like what you heard and want to know more, check us out at wordfitlyspoken.org, facebook.com slash wordfitly, or Twitter at wordfitly. I'm Willie Grills here with Zell and Heidi, Adam Coons, and David Apple. God love you, and God bless. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, 7-8